0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, cause I can
1: It's time once again for Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program where we explain the benefits of Christianity for personal happiness and human flourishing. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. Check us out at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com, where you can get podcasts of the past shows. You can also subscribe to iTunes and get our podcast that way, and we have a Facebook group, so you can dialogue with us that way. If you'd like to email us, go to email at evidenceforfaith.com. Well, Mike, welcome back to the show. You have not been on the show for a long time. I think it's just about four months, Keith. It's good to be back. So catch us up a little bit. What have you been doing? How have you been staying busy? Well, part of the
2: problem is the... The electronic uh, media uh, deluge that's being uh, instituted in medicine—that's changing the face of medicine forever. We're actually in the process of um, going electronic as far as electronic medical records. And I never realized how substantial a task that is, not only for myself but also for my staff, as far as downloading all the records into individual sections of the patient's electronic
1: chart. So no free time to get on the radio. It's—it's it's been very very difficult. Well, welcome back good to be back. So, and you did a trip recently too, right? Yeah, we actually uh, went to
2: Ireland. Um, we flew into Shannon Airport on the southern part of that Emerald Isle and uh, spent uh, three days in the southern part uh, in Galway and one day on the Aran Islands where they make the famous fishermen's sweaters. Did a lot of sightseeing. I took over 600 digital images, which uh, I was very excited about since photography is my, uh, my love as far as hobbies go. And then we spent uh, three days in Dublin Uh, which I found very uh, fascinating because we were able to uh, go to Trinity College and see the Book of Kells, which was the uh, first highly art-decorated form of manuscript of the Bible Bible Uh that was ever made. So that was very, very interesting. Uh, We also were able to go to um, the Chester Beatty Library. Now, he was an American uh, businessman who um, has probably the most extensive um, collection of Uh, scriptures going back to antiquity, perhaps two to three hundred A.D. Wow. So uh, we were able to spend about three or four hours in his library alone looking at some of the documents and manuscripts uh, that uh, that were available. I would uh, have loved that. To him. Oh, And you will go there one day just for that museum. And I know that you'll spend probably a week in that museum (laughs) alone. Uh, But it was really an interesting uh, trip and uh, highly recommended if if you've never been to Ireland or Scotland. uh, Just a, a very, very different part of the world.
1: Well, Mike, while you were gone, we added another radio station to the network, so we want to welcome our new listeners from KLMG in Omaha and Lincoln, Nebraska, who listen to us Fridays at 5.30 p.m., so welcome, Omaha. All right, we've got a quote of the day, actually a couple quotes of the day, from two of my favorite people, two of the probably the strongest apologists of the 20th century, so... This one's from Francis Schaeffer, and he's talking on the subject of morality and whether it's objective or relative. He says, if there is no absolute moral standard, then one cannot say in a final sense that anything is right or wrong. By absolute, we mean that which always applies, that which provides a final or ultimate standard. There must be an absolute if there are to be morals and there must be an absolute, if there are to be real values, if there is no absolute beyond man's ideas, then there is no final appeal to judge between in- individuals and groups whose moral judgments conflict. We are merely left with conflicting opinions. That's Francis Schaefer again.
2: Francis Schaefer is absolutely correct on that. Yep. Interesting. I have another quote for you, Keith, uh, also one of my favorite authors. C.S. Lewis had to say this about eternity. Now, li- listen closely, because it's, it's one of those dichotomies, which we're going to get into in a little bit, that uh, he, he, he touches base on, and he says this about eternity. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever, and this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live for 70 years. But, which I had better bother about very seriously, if I'm going to live forever. Right. Very interesting. So, you either, you either are going to live or you're not. And if you're only going to live for 70 years, you can do whatever you want, because there are no moral absolutes. If you're not going to live for 70 years, but forever, there are moral absolutes and there is a moral law giver.
1: And hence the conflict between world views. Indeed. Well, a news item that came up that I thought was pretty interesting. This is about gambling and alcoholism. The headline said gambling is more of a problem in the U.S. among adults than drinking is. Wow. That's a surprise to me. It says that experts in gambling addiction at the University of Buffalo, and this is, they mention here, John Welt as the principal investigator. And they surveyed 2,000-some-odd teens and 2,000-some-odd adults. And what they found, it says that gambling increases during teen years – peaking between ages 20 to 30 and then declines over age 70 and is more widely reported than the use or abuse of alcohol. It says problem gambling among men is twice that of women. That's interesting.
2: Well, I, I don't think so, Keith. I think that men are, more, by and large, more
1: risk-taking when they're in their teen and 20 years. So that would explain the difference then. Yeah, yeah that thrill and the risk. So it also says it's also more frequent and problematic as socioeconomic status gets lower and Welt says that rather than gambling for recreation, lower socioeconomic groups create further problems by pursuing gambling as a way to make money.
2: You, you so. know what's interesting about this, uh, Keith, since we are broadcasting from the greater Atlantic City metropolitan area, uh, I would think that a lot of this goes hand-in-hand, hand. the gambling goes hand-in-hand hand with actual alcohol consumption. Yeah, It's very well known that if you're in a casino environment, they will lavish you with free drinks because you're... Ability to think properly and clearly is going to be hampered by uh, alcohol excess. So it's to the casino's advantage to intoxicate you, if you will. Uh, But I would think that uh, you know, even going back to a Super Bowl party where the guys are gambling and they're they're making bets, and you know, even if it's the Final Four in the NCAA tournament, that alcohol and gambling go hand in hand, especially amongst the uh, younger men, teenage and and, uh, age 20 group. And
1: I'm sure that you and I know we've both seen some real tragedies occurring around Atlantic City because of the problem of gambling.
2: Absolutely. And you know what's interesting is that uh, just from a medical perspective, the actual definition of an addiction is this. Continuing to engage in a behavior, knowing full well that it's going to interfere with your relationships, cost you your job, cost you your money, Mm. and cost you your life so this this would apply to not only gambling or alcohol but also to drugs pornography etc um, and by the way internet pornography is the number one addiction to young men right now at this point in time mm. internet pornography yeah.
1: and that brings us to our guest today our guest is Jeff Baldwin who is research director for the Worldview Academy Jeff welcome to Evidence for Faith thanks so much I appreciate
3: your, the invitation
1: Well. I've had the pleasure now of listening to a couple of your podcasts, so I feel like I know you already, and I'd love to introduce you to our audience. Welcome to Evidence for Faith, and thanks for all the tips. I I now am about two pounds heavier because of your recommendations on uh, take five candy bars and fish tacos.
3: Yeah, you can tell that Bill Jack is my co-host at Radio Worldview, the podcast, and uh, he and I both like to eat quite a bit, so we always have our ear to the ground whenever we're on the road for another good place to eat.
1: Well, Jeff, tell us about Worldview Academy. I- I'd be happy to.
3: Um, worldview Academy, our-, our mission is really to uh, equip students to think and live according to the Christian worldview, And uh, uh, what we do is we have leadership camps all around the country. You mentioned our camp in the Philadelphia area, um, but we actually have uh, three different teams of college staff and faculty who travel around the country uh, for the months of June and July, and we offer these one-week-long leadership camps to students 13 and older uh, all around the nation, Seattle, Central Florida. Uh, we even have one in New Hampshire, which uh, I have to admit, I, I, I'm from the West, and I was uh, not sanguine about the, the chances of getting a camp going in a New England state, and uh, I was very, very wrong. We had a great reception in, in New Hampshire and some um, really committed Christian families that are excited to have us there. And um, Anyway, we, we take the students and we train them um, for about 29 hours in that week in the classroom, it's, it's not your typical camp um, where you're picturing maybe jet skiing or, um, or canoeing or that sort of thing. We, we do enjoy ourselves and we do have a great time, but um, we're, we're very convinced that uh, our, our culture tends to um, talk down to teenagers and set low expectations for them. And uh, our, all of our experience has been teenagers can rise to the occasion. If you challenge them, then they are more than happy to dig in and rise to that challenge. So, so that's what we do. We, we train them, we equip them, we actually uh, teach them evangelism and then go out and do evangelism on the college campus, uh, typically on Wednesday afternoons of the week of the camp, and uh, really push the students to own their faith and, and understand their faith as a total world view.
1: Well, m- both of my boys went to your camp about seven or eight years ago, and oh, they great. had a real blast, and they felt it was really rewarding. Great. And, and I noticed, though, you know, when they got back, they, they made us buy a bunch of videos, <laughs> and, and all these videos have Bill Jack's name on them. Yeah so I, yeah is that is that the plan that that you get to be research director and Bill Jack gets all the bylines?
3: <laughs> it sort of seems that way. yeah, Bill is uh, it, the thing about Bill Jack, and I, I hope maybe sometime you can can visit with him on your show, but uh, he he has really figured out. Uh, the nuances of video evangelism. So uh, one of the things that baffles me uh, when he goes out and does evangelism is um, it seems like people are more likely to talk with you if you have a video camera on them than if you're just sort of standing on the sidewalk uh, trying to engage people. And, And so Bill has all these different techniques for going onto a college campus with a video camera, and then of course he winds up with this great footage because um, when students stop and, and dialogue with them, you really get that chance to see that that clash between world views.
1: Well, I like that title, research director. You know, I want to be a research director, too. What, what exactly <laughs> do, do you do for that, besides <laughs> the fish tacos and the candy bars? <laughs>
3: That's it. you got to... That's the heart of it, is, is research director is so nebulous that uh, it basically means I get to read books and, and teach, and uh, uh, anything I'm doing sort of counts as doing my job. And uh, as, a, as a person that loves to read, then, uh, then that works out very nicely for me. So um, I am sort of the curriculum guy with Worldview Academy as well. Um, we try to... We try very much to have a fixed curriculum, regardless of the team that arrives near your hometown, um, for the simple reason that uh, we want to make sure that, that students are, are getting these key concepts that we feel are, they're not hearing as much as they can uh, within, within the church. So um, uh, a lot of it is, is sort of just keeping our eye on the ball, too, and making sure that we're, we're conveying the same thing to, to students. Um, and I don't know. Maybe this is this is something that I I think uh, you probably are, are well aware of. But um, the longer I've taught worldview, the more I'm convinced that so much of it goes back to basic doctrine. And uh, it's a, it's a little odd to find yourself in that position of of um, uh, teaching worldview, which is is sort of uh, in some Christian circles it's viewed as a as a new thing. You know, it's sort of viewed as hey, Francis Schaefer kicked this off, and this is a brand new way of, of thinking about things. And, and yet, the more I do it, the more I find myself just coming back to uh, the incarnation, creation, uh, the nature of man, and, and uh, really just hammering home for students that these are ideas that match reality and then are going to have good consequences when we embrace those ideas in reality.
2: You know, Jeff, um, the first time I uh, looked at your website, I was. Uh, first thing I actually looked into was your doctrinal statement of faith and your mission statement. And I thought to myself, wow, this guy's right on. So that was like the hook that actually made me cruise your, your website uh, pretty totally. And I was very impressed that your, your statement of faith and your mission statement would actually be consistent with really any Bible believing Christian. So if there's anybody who has any concern about what kind of a camp, their kid is going to go to, they, the first thing they need to do is look at your doctrinal statement of faith and your mission statement, which I think will uh, allow them to breathe a little bit easier. Also, when I was looking at your, your website, I, I noticed that um, you also uh, worked with uh, the Understanding the Times curriculum with uh, with uh, Dr. Noble. Keith and I actually have been teaching that, uh, that curriculum to our kids for the last 13 years or so at our own church, and uh, we we're very impressed by that uh, curriculum. And I noticed that you were your uh, actual layout for the kids' camp is a little bit different than what the um, Understanding the Times camp is all about. Can you explain to some of our listeners how there is a difference and why it is that you're, you're targeting the younger kids rather than the uh, older high school kids?
3: You, you bet. Um, the, 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 uh, the Understanding the Times curriculum, as you, as you said, is, is Dr. Noble's brainchild, and uh, Dr. Noble is with Summit Ministries out in colorado and uh... one of the things that uh... and this is a, a great great thing that summit ministries has—is they have the ability to draw really big name um, uh... christian thinkers i'm i'm thinking of people like jp moreland or uh, george grant or folks like that to uh... to their camp and uh... have a lot of guest speakers that come in and teach at their camp program and um... Uh, that's a that's a great thing. I, I personally have only got to hear J.P. Moreland teach once, but loved it and wished I could have heard more. and uh, And so I think that is a strength for the summit. Um, conversely, I think our strength is uh, that we we are able to keep our eye on the ball and focus on these key concepts that we've identified, um, so that so that you never get a curriculum that's top-heavy at any particular camp that you attend. Um, you know, because we all have our own hobby horses, and if you let me choose uh, the everything that we were talking about for a week, I would camp out on the nature of man and, and talking about Christianity and the arts, and I've got a passion for both those things, and, and great. But, but the problem is then you get kind of a top-heavy curriculum that's not uh, paying attention to some other crucial concepts that need to be Addressed, So that's one element that I think sets us apart from uh, understanding the times and summit. And then the other element is really that, um, that uh, feet on the ground, putting it into practice. Uh, training students in evangelism, and actually taking them out and doing evangelism on Wednesday afternoon. I, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, we will have taught the students for three days prior to their going out and doing evangelism, and, and so often students will rush back up to me after evangelism and say, hey, I talked to this guy who was a Buddhist, and he said just what you said he was going to say, or I talked to this guy that was new age, and he said just like you said he was going to say, and and... and as a teacher, it's sort of, uh, you can sense the irony because you, you know that everything you said prior to evangelism was deemed sort of uh, ivory tower and not, not actually relevant to the real world, and then suddenly they're outdoing evangelism and they're realizing, oh... So these ideas are not uh, merely ivory tower. These ideas are, are practical, and these are concepts that we as Christians need to understand and embrace to, to be able to go out and be salt and light. So um, we're, we're pretty proud of our, our practical application at Worldview Academy and uh, really try to emphasize that with the students, that uh, this is not just head knowledge. It needs to be translated into heart knowledge.
1: Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And we are speaking with Jeff Baldwin, who is Research Director of Worldview Academy. You can email in comments or questions. You can do that to email at evidenceforfaith.com. Well, Jeff, you said that you are a great reader, and I notice on your website you have this terrific link to a curriculum. I guess you teach this in a Christian school, but it's... Uh, the Great dot com, right. And uh, I have been a fan of the Great Books for probably twenty five, thirty years, and so this was a real thrill to see another list of some of the greatest books ever written. Well, and
3: that's uh, I, I'd like to hear your your take on this as well. But um, to to my mind, uh, when you really get down to teaching worldview, I what I'd like to say to people is that. Um, there's a sense in which worldview is not a subject, it's the subject. And um, there's a tendency for us sometimes in the Church to teach worldview as a discipline. You know, you teach uh, chemistry, you teach English, and then alongside that you teach worldview. And I definitely think there's a place for that. But what you're trying to do is flip the switch with your student that they really do understand that God is sovereign over all things, that the Christian worldview is relevant to all aspects of reality, and then to, to get the student to carry that worldview with them wherever they go. And so when you talk about the great books, Um, That, to me, is is sort of uh, the second step with worldview training, is you say say to a student, okay, you get this. You understand um, that there's no distinction between the sacred and the secular. You understand uh, that God is relevant to every discipline. So now let's jump into the great conversation. Let's Mm -hmm. hear the big questions that Plato asked and see what Christianity has to say to those big questions. Let's hear how Dante is sketching out the afterlife and hear what Christianity has to say uh, to Dante's version of the afterlife. And when you when you carry the worldview into the great conversation like that, uh, I really think students then get this get this exciting feel for um, that's right. Uh, Christianity's not just for Sundays. Uh, Christianity's not just for Bible study. Um, this is a total worldview that addresses every aspect of reality.
1: Well, let's talk a, a little bit about some of those concepts because you do have at your website a list of some of the basic, not just the topics that you talk about at camp, but the background concepts that help to decide what topics you are going to talk about. So, you mentioned this secular-sacred dichotomy. Can you elaborate on that for our listeners? Just exactly what are you talking about?
3: Um, we I think you all appreciate this. I've, I've finally gone back to C.S. Lewis with this because uh, he, he does it best. and. and it, to me, this is so fascinating that uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, uh, was running away from God for, for a certain part of his life, didn't want to become a Christian, and, uh, and and was very wary of everything that had to do with the Christian worldview. And what fascinates me is that C.S. Lewis understood Christianity very, very well, even before he became a Christian. He had one of those minds that could really the big picture um, even prior to his conversion. And so uh, one of the famous things that he says, I think he says it in Surprised by Joy, is uh, he he says when he wasn't a Christian that God seemed to him to be the arch-interferer, and that uh, the main problem with God was that there was nowhere where you could put up a barbed wire fence, and a keep out sign in your mind, and and keep that little part reserved as as primarily yours, as having nothing to do with God. And I I just think, wow, how amazing that C.S. Lewis saw that even before he trusted Christ, because that that is that idea that there is no distinction between the sacred and the secular. Um, as humans, we want to uh, in our in our flesh, we want to reserve something as sort of uh, this. This is, this is mine. I'm autonomous over this. This doesn't have anything to do with God. And it's not always a sinful thing. It may be something like, like fishing. We just say, well, I can't imagine how fishing, or, or how God is relevant to fishing, so um, this is my little thing where I've put up the barbed wire, and I've put up the keep-out sign. This is a secular thing as opposed to a sacred thing. And of course, to think that way is to totally lose sight of the sovereignty of God, that He is Uh, our Maker and our Redeemer, that all of reality is under His rule, and it's it's absurd to sort of think that we can step out of sacred reality and, and find ourselves somewhere else. And, of course, part of the reason we do, I think, is because we're in the habit of attending church on Sunday, and so we think, okay, Sunday is God's day, and that's sort of the sacred time, and then I go back to my regular job, I go back to fishing, I go back to these other pursuits and that 's certainly a, a secular thing and and, and so that sacred secular dichotomy uh, unfortunately you know that that then colors public policy. people start to think um, that God is is only relevant to church and maybe personal ethics, and when they take that stance, then they begin to seek to govern apart from the sovereign God, and uh, uh, you're you're obviously going to shipwreck against reality when you lose sight of the sovereign over-reality.
1: I know this was, for me, a personal issue. As I began to get busier in the church, I began to resent this kind of intrusion into my time, until I finally realized, excuse me, it's not my time. The only time I have is the time that God gave me. It belongs right. to God, and that was a real step forward for me when I began to realize that it's not my time, it's God's time.
3: That's a that's a great point, because it's ultimately a stewardship issue, too, as you just said, that um, we there's some things that we think we have that are ultimately ours, and the whole principle of biblical stewardship is that everything belongs to God. There's nothing... He, he's certainly given you things for a time to be a good steward over... But there is nothing that is fundamentally yours, and you are the lord and master over deciding how you dispense of it.
2: You know, along the uh, the lines of uh, the dichotomies, uh, Jeff, I just wanted to pick up that theme again. Uh, having to do with, uh, you know, whether it's in the public or the private domain, uh, that's a dichotomy. And, and this is really where the secular humanists uh, hammer us, and they, they try to keep that barbed wire up and keep us out of the public domain with our personal convictions in our faith. And that has to do with the faith-reason dichotomy, you know, where we're the irrational religious zealots and they're the rational scientist-type individuals. How, how do you teach the kids to overcome the barriers that the secular humanists are throwing at them in the high school arena with your camp?
3: Fantastic question. That's a, that's a great observation. That, that's uh, One of the things that I, I think is crucial for, for our Christian students to understand is that everyone has faith. And um, that's not the way that secular humanists portray themselves. They are very careful to say that they are on the side of reason and suggest that it's only Christians and perhaps some New Agers or Mormons or somebody like that that are on the side of faith. And and so, as you say, they set up that faith-reason dichotomy, and what we're very careful to do at camp is to remind students that everyone operates according to faith, that it's atheists sometimes refer to themselves as unbelievers, and unbeliever really uh, shouldn't be a word, because as human beings, we have to. We're not infinite, we're not eternal, uh, we're not uh, all-knowing, and so we have to put our faith in certain first principles to even function in reality. And so we take a, a long time to remind the students of just how much faith it takes to be an atheist, because until they see that, the student starts to think, um, gosh, okay, we've got this uh, separation of church and state in America, and I shouldn't bring my faith um, into these public arenas because, you know, I'm, I know that no one else is bringing their faith into these public arenas. And, and as loud as I can, I want to say to the students, uh, you've got it exactly wrong. Everyone brings their faith into the public arena. And the, the question is not who's on the side of faith and who's on the side of reason. The, the question is whose faith actually matches reality. Is it, is it, Uh, valid to have this faith in. um, You know, you guys mentioned ethical relativism earlier. Uh, The atheist has to have faith that ultimately uh, morality is is relative, that there's no ultimate objective measuring stick for what is right and what is wrong. And and my question is, is their faith in uh, subjectivism right, or is the Christian faith, in uh, absolutes fixed in the the character of God, right? And and everywhere we go, uh, we bump up against absolutes in in the real world. And and yet still, the atheists are saying to us, uh, "No, no, uh, you guys have faith, and and we have reason." I I just want us to shout it from the rooftops. It it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist, it takes a lot of faith to believe that there is no God, it takes a lot of faith to believe uh, that ethics are relative, and and uh, uh, it's a mistake to operate as though, um, yes, Christians are people of faith, but all those other folks we see walking around in our town are not operating according to faith.
1: Well Jeff, we've got the sound promo file from your website that tells people a little bit about the camp. so we'll go ahead and play that. Josh has got that ready to roll.
0: Great. This summer, on a campus not far from here, the light of Scripture and the power of servant leadership will come together in a most remarkable way. It's a place where the search for truth begins with the Bible, and heartfelt devotion to Christ doesn't mean an unplugged mind. Welcome to a leadership camp where games have purpose, where laughter is a common language, and encouragement, an abundant staple. Here students take ownership of an empowering Christian worldview, not because it's a trend, but because it's unmistakably true. Enthusiasm and insight are around every corner, and the challenge to live well and think well is reflected in every face. Here, solid values are lived out, and the legacy of family is at its core. Faith is strengthened, grace is multiplied, and durable friendships take root. This is Worldview Academy. It's a place where bold leadership means having a servant's heart. And countering the culture isn't about winning a battle of words, but expressing irresistible grace. Standing for the truth is as important as kneeling before the king. Because there will be a time when faith is tested, truth is under fire, and courage is required. We are there. Worldview Academy. Leadership camps where students become bold leaders in truth and grace. Worldview Academy. There's no leadership camp like it in America. www.worldview.org. 800-241-1123.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And with us, we have Jeff Baldwin, Research Director for Worldview Academy. They are hosting a camp for youth at Philadelphia Biblical University in Langhorne, PA, July 17th to July 22nd. And Jeff, how would they, how would, if there are people listening who want to go to that camp, how do they sign up?
3: There's a couple ways. They could call our office, which is an 800 number. It's 800- Two four one 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 two three, and then they also could visit our website. We have a registration form there at worldview dot org o um, r g either way would be fine uh, we are I do know that a couple of our camps are are filling up quickly. I don't know that uh, the Philadelphia camp is, but i I heard you all mention that you have a uh, new affiliate in uh, Nebraska and so you know we've got a camp in uh, northern Oklahoma western Missouri around there too so um, certainly there's, there's other options available for for folks around the country
2: you know Jeff when I visited your website to check out uh, you know the background for your camp as well as to uh, check you out a little bit I was very impressed by the website very easy to navigate and I actually happened upon uh, the Chuck Colson three-minute video promo where he speaks with conviction and passion about um, what your camp is all about, what it has to offer kids. Uh, and, and, and I would encourage anybody listening to this show, if they're going to check out one thing on the, uh, the website, to check out Chuck Colson's commentary, because I think it's a terrific synopsis about uh, how a kid is going to find himself in that uh, camp and what they're going to come away with as far as being equipped for the future. Uh, okay. If you want to make a couple of comments on that, you may.
3: I I just, I'm sure you've done it several times on your show, but uh, I just could not be more impressed by uh, Mr. Coulson's How Should We Now Live? And uh, probably you've told your your listeners before, but uh, he's got a a discussion guide for that as well. If you go, like, on Amazon.com or somewhere like that, you can find the book, and it actually has a a leader's guide uh, in the back of it. And I've used that teaching Sunday school classes, and I just think it's a, Really, really fantastic introduction to worldviews. So, uh, yeah, for for Mr. Colson to say anything like he said about Worldview Academy was just super high praise to me. Mm.
1: Jeff, uh, we've spoken several times on this show about the issue of Christian kids leaving the church when they go away to college. Can you address what you think about this problem? Is it a problem? How do we solve it? And is that what your camp is about?
3: It is in part, and it is a problem. You you certainly can make a strong case for that. Um, I I I think uh, ultimately, uh, I'll, I'll just be blunt here and say I ultimately I think the the problem isn't solved until uh, people really begin to see Christianity as as something that that requires us to love God with our minds as well. You know, Second Corinthians ten five tells us to take every thought captive for Christ. And uh, uh, Romans 12.2 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I I think uh, we gloss over that. I think there's plenty of Christians who have this sense that education is really only sort of a means to an end, and the only really important thing about education is getting that diploma so that you can get that good good job. And um, I I... Obviously, Worldview Academy is seeking to equip teens for college, but you can't do everything in a week either. And I, I think that uh, too many times Christian families uh, treat the, the education that, that a student might be receiving, wherever they are in, in high school or middle school, as something sort of value-neutral, um, that when we add Sunday school on top of that, everything will be just fine. And, uh, again... God is relevant to every discipline. and And Christians have got to start taking education seriously, um, not not just for a week in the summer, but uh, throughout the high school years, throughout the middle school years. We've got to make a decision to consider what does it look like to teach English from a bi- biblical perspective? What does it look like uh, to teach math from a biblical perspective? And, and really be taking every opportunity to show our students that uh, God is relevant to every aspect of, of reality. Um, you know, uh, the, the, implicit, the implicit message in the public schools is that God doesn't really have anything to say to history or anything to say to english and i'm not condemning all public school teachers but when you say we don't get to bring the bible into the school you're implying the bible doesn't really have anything to do with these five days of education either and it does it has everything to do with uh, understanding reality and, and until we can convey that to our kids i don't think we're going to have a lot of success equipping them for secular colleges
2: you know, One of the problems uh, with that, as I see it, Jeff, is that uh, it, it has to do with the, the bankruptcy of atheism. Now, you touch on these, these topics during your camp, and I noticed that it was the bankruptcy of atheism, the New Age, Islam, and popular cults. But just getting back to the atheism problem, we've already, we've already mentioned that it was a, a faith commitment on the atheists' part, um, and I, I think that the secular humanist philosophy has been so entrenched uh, and institutionalized that it affects every area of, of the higher learning uh, system in the United States, from high school to college, your camp somehow is going to turn the tide, I believe in our young people's thought process. Tell the listeners how that'll happen
3: well I, I hope that's true and I, and I think it is i I agree with you completely about uh, and and it goes back to what we were saying right that um, uh, if we think there's a reason versus faith dichotomy, well, the secular humanists have taken real care to say that they're on the side of reason. And so uh, the, the message is then uh, we don't want to bring faith into education but it's more than appropriate to bring reason into education. And since secular humanists are on the side of reason, then it's very appropriate for us to be teaching evolution and ethical relativism and all of these other things that go hand-in-hand hand with that. And, and Christians, you're right, Christians have to go back to reminding people um, these are, there's some first principles that the atheist takes on faith, first principles that the Christian takes on faith. Now let's talk about which of those uh, first principles actually seem to match reality. And uh, that's that's a, a big part of what we're hoping to do at, at our camp. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, I think we are uh, training a generation to train the next generation uh, more completely, to, to pay more attention to that biblical education. So I certainly don't think Worldview Academy is the uh, be-all and end-all, but I I am very optimistic about our work, but I'm I'm optimistic about it in that that long chain of events where the next generation says, hey, if this is real, if our faith is relevant to every discipline, then we need to take education more seriously from kindergarten on. Uh, We need to wipe out this anti-intellectual bent within the Church, and we need to take every thought captive for
1: Christ. Mm. Well, Jeff... I don't know if you know, but Evidence for Faith has been doing the past five shows. We've been talking about critical thinking and critical thinking skills, and I see that that's one of the areas that you do address at your camps. Can you delve into a little bit the importance and and just exactly how you approach that topic?
3: Sure. Uh, we Typically, what we do is we, we want the students to learn uh, what Bill Jack calls the four killer questions, and those four killer questions are just very basic, critical thinking questions that the student has to use with care. We're not, we're not asking the student to uh, just fire these questions at, at every person that, that pops up in their path, but as they consider these questions, that they would know, hey, I need to be able to respond from a Christian standpoint, to these questions, too. So, for example, the first killer question is just, how do you know? And it sounds like such a simple question, but as you two realize, that's basically half of philosophy. Half of philosophy is that big, fancy word, epistemology, which is dealing with that question of of certain knowledge. Can human beings arrive at certain knowledge, and how do we arrive at certain knowledge? And uh, uh, it's a fantastic question to push students to be critical thinkers because, first of all, it it reminds us that uh, a lot of people base a lot of what they claim to know on hearsay or unreliable sources, And second of all, it should drive our Christian students back to God's Word, that we uh, would never fall into the trap of saying, well, I know this because I'm a logical individual or I know this because uh, science tells me so, but that we would ultimately see that the only true sure foundation is the Word of God. And yes, uh, when we stand on the Word of God, uh, we can begin to rely on our reason, we can begin to rely on science, but that that the Bible needs to be our foundation. So um, that's one of the four killer questions. Bill Jack does a fantastic job of unpacking all of those. And, and again, the idea is, is really for engagement with real people so that you can go out and talk to people about your faith. I think we fall into this trap of thinking, um, let's find the formula for sharing our faith with other people And if you've ever tried to share your faith with a real-life human being, there's no script that you get to follow. You don't get to, they're not reading the script along with you and and raising the objections at the appropriate time. You have to be ready to to, uh, follow some of the uh, trails that they want to follow. And if you're not thinking well about your own faith, you're not really going to be ready to have that dialogue with them.
2: You know, one of the things that uh, struck me when you started talking about the four killer questions, Jeff, was the one killer question that the secular humanists and the New Age movement specifically has really silenced the Christian group with. Mm-hmm. That killer question for us is, who are you to judge? Yeah, and it immediately, immediately makes us clam up. And if, yeah. and if the kid can't answer that challenge, then he should not be out on the street. So how are you going to equip a New Age kid to... Uh, go up against the intolerance of the New Age mindset.
3: (laughs) Well, and that's why, you know, that little phrase, ideas have consequences, gets said so much in Christian worldview circles, but it gets said so much because it's, it's true and it's fundamental to what we're doing. Well, what we should be as Christians saying to people is, the reason we're seeking to dissuade you of some of your ideas is because, they're ideas that don't match reality, and when you embrace ideas that don't match reality, those really are going to have bad consequences in your life. And, of course, the most obvious example is the person who thinks that they can fly, right? If you look up on a, at a 10-story building and see some, somebody on the roof sort of flapping their arms and they've got this idea that they can fly out of love, you need to rush to the top of that building and earnestly seek to dissuade them of that bad idea, because you know that if they pursue that bad idea, there are going to be very bad consequences for them. And I, I know that's unpopular in our current culture. Uh, I know that it makes us uh, seem like busybodies, a lot of the time as, as Christians, but if ideas have consequences, then we get to throw out this whole sort of wishy-washy mindset that any idea is equally valid. In, in practice, we know that that's not true. Um, there's no one that's going to uh, stand up on college campus today and, and seriously argue for race-based slavery. They know that that was a bad idea, they know that that bad idea had bad consequences. And what Christians are pointing out is, or at least what we should be pointing out is, hey, uh, there's other bad ideas out there that are real popular right now. There's this bad idea that a woman has the right to control her own body no matter what, and pursuing that bad idea is going to have bad consequences for you and for the people that your life directly connects to. And so... What I always say to our students, and and to me this is the bottom line, we should be dialoguing with people, but the motive for the dialogue always should be love, that if if you're just talking to win an argument or to be right, then you definitely should clam up, but if you're talking because you love that person and it breaks your heart to see them have this bad idea that drug use is harmless or this bad idea that a a woman has a right to control her own body, if it breaks your heart that they have this bad idea and are going to suffer bad consequences for embracing it, then you need to go out and, and
1: seek to dissuade
3: that person.
1: We're speaking with Jeff Baldwin, Research Director of Worldview Academy. And Jeff, it seems that if kids are going to embrace this concept that the Bible and Christianity speak to all areas of life, they first have to really believe that it's true. Do you address how someone can really know that Christianity is true and the Bible is reliable?
3: We, we do. That's one of our key concepts that we teach at camp is this idea of, um, the reliability of Scripture and, and some good reasons for believing that Scripture is reliable. I know you know as, as well as I do that um, ultimately this is a faith decision, that uh, uh, ultimately, as a human being, I don't have the capacity to impartially examine all the evidence and uh, immediately come to the, the right conclusion about every aspect of reality. So instead what I'm, I'm saying to students is, Um, here are some good reasons for believing that the Bible is inerrant and reliable. And now what I want you to do is assume for a moment that the Bible is as reliable as it claims to be. If it is, then we would expect it would match reality, and we would find things working out practically in reality, and and that's exactly what we find. So this isn't a, a blind leap of faith. It's not closing your eyes and, and stepping off into the chasm. It's, it's, um, it's very much a reasonable faith to adhere to, um, but bottom line, it is, it is still faith. And as you can tell, when we talk at Worldview Academy, the, the assumptions. We, what we like to do is, is have the students try on worldviews. Let's, let's pretend atheism is true. Let's pretend uh, ethical relativism is true. What have we got to say to Adolf Hitler? Well, come to find out we don't honestly have anything uh, to any any good reason for condemning Hitler if atheism is true, and we have no uh, foundation for absolutes. But if Christianity is true, this revulsion that you feel for the policies of the Third Reich uh, is a valid revulsion, and it actually uh, goes back to these absolutes that exist in the character of God.
2: You no, know, Jeff, I um, let's pretend I have two two kids, one 13 years of age, one 14 years of age. I want you to tell me in the in the last 2 minutes that we have on this show why it is that I should send my kids to your camp which is just north of Philadelphia in Langhorne on uh, July 17th through July 22nd. Why should my kids go to your camp? Why should I pay double tuition to have my kids at your camp?
3: Right. And, and the answer really is, is just the way that God uses the camp. Uh, it's not some magic formula that, that three or four Christian men discovered. It's the plain fact that we challenge teens to uh, really come to grips with their faith, to apply their faith, um, to, to really seek to be transformed uh, by the renewing of their minds, and, and to take it seriously. And, of course, this is every parent's prayer, every parent. Uh, more than anything, wants to see their students own their own faith, that it's not their parents' faith, but it becomes their faith. And I'll tell you from experience, that doesn't happen until the student is really uh, forced to apply it, think hard about it, engage with people who don't agree with him, and, and, and learn how to defend their faith in that realm.
1: You've been listening to Evidence for Faith. We've been interviewing Jeff Baldwin, who is Research Director of Worldview Academy. Jeff, I really want to thank you for coming and telling us about the camps. Boy, thanks so much for
3: inviting me. I thoroughly enjoyed this.
1: Good luck to everything that you do. Thank you. You've been listening to Evidence for Faith with Keith Kendricks. I am Dr. Mike Larrakis. And join us again for more reasons to believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.
0: That was...